Hey, folks, I'm Tom. I'm Keith. We're back again to talk about the Dunlap Champions Club. You've heard us give this pitch before, but we're going to go ahead and throw another fastball at you because the Dunlap Champions Club is where you should be each and every Florida State home game. If you've never tried it, you've got to do it at least once. You do it one time, you'll be hooked. It comes with shade. That's key. It comes with chair backs. It comes with all the food you can eat which Keith and I don't need, but that is one of the perks of it. But it's a really good experience, and many of you have been in there socially, maybe outside of a game, so you've seen the space. Some of you still haven't been in the space. You need to call and take a tour. The ability to watch the game from your chair, to go inside where it's cool, to get food, to get drink, to see people and and socialize to whatever degree, that's important to you. Dozens and dozens of televisions on the wall. You won't miss anything. Plus, you can look out the glass and see from from uh, the fourth floor. It, again, it's a place you ought to go and give it a chance. For your tickets, for a tour, for more information, 644-1830. And now, without further ado, Front Row Knows. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Hello, everybody. We are back. Tom and KJ. I normally say good day, but the truth be told, it is not uh, necessarily the best of times for a lot of people in this area. So, Keith, I'll just begin by saying uh, hello. Missed you last week. Uh, I'm glad to know that you made out all right in the storm. Same with you and your family. And, of course, our best wishes to all of our listeners and their extended families and everybody affected by uh, Hurricane Michael. Uh, Obviously, we haven't seen anything, uh, a storm of that strength and that significance Certainly in our lifetime, my lifetime, in living in Florida, and uh, our hearts go out to those that have been uh, really, really affected by the storm. Yeah, exactly right. So we wish everybody the best in trying to get back to some sense of normalcy, support whatever cause you think is... uh best suited for you whether that's man hours or food donations or monetary donations i'll leave it at that but uh, we all need to pitch in to get uh, the panhandle back on its feet again florida state football will try to get back on its feet again this week they had a bye week i always say this keith a bye week never comes at a bad time right no not especially think, for, especially for for players that have been at it even if you're not quote unquote injured uh those bumps and bruises and the mental fatigue of uh, the long season you really do like that break. I thought at the time, after the devastating defeat to Miami, that an extra week would be good because it emotionally it might be tough in just a week to get back. In light of the fact that everybody was displaced, there was a storm. You talk about being distracted and taking your mind off of football, and then you had a teammate who lost his house. Clearly, some perspective is out there for this team about, and all of us, football is a game. Well, you and I talked uh, last year when uh, Florida State's schedule was changed and the game was rescheduled and it went three weeks between a, a, a time of playing a game and then how that season ended up. You know, uh, you know that rank will end up ultimately ranking right up there with the death of uh, Pablo Lopez, uh, death of Devon Darling, and then you know the 2017 hurricane season. Because you had a bye week this week, it doesn't disrupt the games as much. And so maybe in that regard, it doesn't affect the season as much as last year's storm did. But nevertheless, uh, it's still very, very uh, tough to get past. In the case of last year, you had to transition quarterbacks. And so that's what was lost there. Continuity, rhythm, timing, no warm-up game for Blackman. So you don't have that issue now. 
now that I mentioned that, let's just have the quarterback conversation real quick because all of a sudden there's a lot of conversation about why won't Coach Taggart play Blackman, which is interesting for context, and then I'll let you weigh in because all the media fueling this right now is the same media that every day in August reported that Francois looked a lot better than Blackman, and now six weeks into the season, the same media is asking, well, why aren't we playing Blackman? Well, th- three observations. Number one, and and three. Usually, you go two things. No, you got I'm going three, three this time. Right. Hey, I, I missed last week. I'm uh, up. very nice. Um, although they will not admit it, and appropriately would not admit it. You and I are at least in agreement that Florida State wants to redshirt Blackman this year. That would be the desire. Uh, so that means he can play four games and no more than four. You put that's him in. just a that's just a thought I have. I have not heard that from anyone. Uh, well, that's what I'm saying. And, yeah. and you won't. And, and, and at this point, he's played one game, so he right. can play three more exactly. with six to go. Yeah. And, and I wouldn't expect Florida. I wouldn't expect Willie Taggart to say, "Well, look, guys, we're trying to redshirt Blackman." You, that's not something you would say out loud, even if that was in your plan. Number two, you know, up until the Miami game, Francois was the leading passer in the ACC. Now, granted, the ACC's offensively is what it is, or what it is. But he was he was the best in the conference up until the Miami game. So he gets injured in the Miami game. And during the one practice or maybe two practices that they had last week, during the open period, Francois is not working out. Blackman is running with the first team. So now everybody's saying, well, Blackman's now the starter because Francois is hurt. Well, that's they were holding him out by every estimation. Tim can help us on it when we talk to him uh, a little further along in the show that uh, he's, uh, Francois has been a full participant this week. But the point is, when you have that poor play, second half of the Miami game, Florida State's offense did not play well. It feeds the who's the, who's the most popular player on the offensive side of the ball for any football team. The backup quarterback. Where's Blackman? Here's the part of the conversation doesn't advance to to me. I get – so the conversation about Blackman is coming not because DeAndre can't throw the ball well. He throws it great. It's because DeAndre does not seem as fluid athletically. A, maybe he's recovering from the injury still. Doesn't seem to have a want to run. Doesn't seem to have a great grasp of the read option. And so the assumption is that Blackman must be better at it. Maybe he is. But even if that's true, maybe he's not nearly as proficient at throwing the football as what Francois is. The, the larger point, and I get the idea of making a change to spark the team, that sort of thing. But you can't argue that DeAndre didn't spark the team. I mean, they were there. that win was there for the take, and then he turned it over. I get it. Um, I, I just always default to we don't see practice every day, and the coaches do. And so when they make changes – the quarterback gets a lot of attention, but but they know when it's time to make changes, generally speaking. And and when they second-guess themselves, it tends to be a one-game thing, i.e., you know, maybe I should play this guy at this position, but let's let it ride. And then that blows up in one game, and they immediately make the change next week. So we're six games in. There hadn't been any immediacy. I guess you, if you wanted immediacy and you wanted to blame both turnovers at Miami on DeAndre, now would be the immediacy. Well, not only that. Maybe that's the reason. For peripherally, the you've got some other things going on that you have no control over that is influencing the fan base mentality, and that's the dual-headed quarterback at Alabama and what you just went through at Clemson where you're promoting the young guy. And so you've got those two things going on on those high-profile teams, and our fan base is looking at that and say, why can't we do be like that, or why can't we do this, or, or whatever. And that fuels it as well, in my opinion. Anyway, we'll see how this shakes out. I just uh, there, There's a lot of, regardless of who's a quarterback, Florida State has issues on the offensive line. This is not news. There have been some changes, 
which makes it seem as and we'll talk to Tim Linnefeld about this I think Florida State wants to go 12 for 12 in different offensive line combinations this Did that year. somehow become a goal I didn't uh... it's not a brag point that you really want to tout but if Everly's not going to play center this week that'll happen uh so we'll ask Tim but there's reports that he's been out at guard Babion's been at center which means it would be a seventh offensive line starting combination this week in and, seven games and remember just by reference the last time florida state changed their regular centers when they moved uh cam to the center position what would that be now four years ago five 2014 years ago? Yeah. yeah and and that ended up being an unbelievably good move May, maybe maybe just maybe moving baby on in there and moving eberly out when we look at this 10 years later we'll, we'll look like a stroke of genius we don't even know if it's going to happen and here we are talking about how smart we are Let's say that's a brief conversation. Let's uh, quickly talk about the controversial play. Not to, you know, rip people's hearts out again and not to debate whether it was forward or sideways or not forward, but more the process. So we've had time to digest this. And, and I made the comment to you before we started this conversation. It relates to this play. It sort of relates in general to ACC officiating versus other conference officiating. And to be 100% fair, you and I probably watch less of other conference games and other teams play than most of our listeners because we're at the stadium for eleven hours, ten hours on Saturday. I watch, you know, I catch the late game. I, I do catch, not. I catch the highlights. That's about all I We see. have a game on in the booth, but we're not watching it closely. So this this may well be biased, but I know from the late Doug Rhodes, who would supervise the uh, officiating for the ACC, because we sat in his forum several years in a row. He would say the ACC officials are instructed when in doubt throw a flag if you're looking at it and it's holding maybe throw a flag if you're looking at it and it's a forward pass an illegal forward pass maybe throw a flag whatever it is if you're in doubt go ahead and throw the flag and put the laundry on the field and i feel when i watch the sec or other conferences they are more apt when in doubt to not throw the flag to swallow the whistle and we'll sort it out later and so i bring that up because if you played that illegal forward passed through that way and said, well, that's pretty close. I'm not going to throw the flag. Miami would have been upset and asked for a review, and they would have perhaps, and taken the time to look at it, It wouldn't have been a penalty, so it would have been a scoring play, so it would have been reviewed and they would have looked at it. Is that a better way? What is a better way in light of that to not have something like that come up again? Well, I I think it goes back to the age-old philosophical thing, and and we say the same thing, and you did it for years when you you were uh, calling baseball games. You know, every home plate umpire has a different strike zone. You just need to know what it is, and let's have some consistency with it. Um, I think going back and saying to the officials, if it's in doubt, throw the flag versus in doubt, don't throw the flag, is a wonderful philosophical conversation that the ACC needs to have with itself. We don't know. It's our perception, and I do agree with you that the SEC tends to swallow the whistle and the ACC tends to throw the flag. That's I'll, I'll our give perception. you an example. That's our perception. I'll give you an example. Toss sweep right and there's holding on the receiver on the far left hash. The SEC might let that go because it's not affecting the play. And, and I, would, I would then agree with you that if I was in that conversation, I would vote for, when in doubt, swallow the whistle. Let's let the kids decide the game. Let's not let a penalty or the officials decide the game. Because we can have disagreements on dang near every play. We've, we've talked about it. There's holding on every play. It's just a question whether right. you want to call it or not. That particular play and that 
as close as it is, is, and in fact, as close as you and I are, and we still disagree. I still think it was a forward pass, and you don't. And 90% of the Florida State fans think that it wasn't. Uh, so I'm in the minority there. I get it. But if it's that close, don't throw the flag. Don't throw the flag. Right. So that would solve the problem in this. Fast forwarding, how many double pass situations or illegal forward pass situations do you have over the course of a season? That's the first one Florida State's now, run in three years. It happened it? that Virginia and Miami the very next week had one. But across the conference, what are we talking, two a week? I, I don't know. So unless it's why, flagrant why, leap why, forward. Why would you not make it reviewable anyway? Let the play happen and review every potential forward pass the same way you review a turnover or a scoring play. We review everything else. Well, I would not be in favor of that simply because – that, uh, that the, the proverbial camel's nose under the tent or whatever that phrase is. Now, are right, well, let's then review this or let's then review that. Right. Let's then review that. I would not be in favor of your idea. But the bottom line on this play is it, it ended up being a scoring play. Now, I don't, I'm not going to tell Technically, you. Technically, it wasn't because they threw a flag. So I don't know that they reviewed it in that they review every scoring play. I... Okay, I don't know the answer to that question. That's there, what I, that's what I was told by Florida State. There was a it score. wasn't a scoring play. That, well, that's that, but that's directly different than what Coach Taggart said in the heat of the moment after the game that he was told. Right, because he was told it was reviewed and it wasn't close. Yeah, we're we're saying the same thing differently. So I, they reviewed it, but they didn't review it because it was a scoring play. Is if that makes sense, because technically it wasn't a scoring play. But, yes, that's what Taggart said in the heat of the moment. He was told they looked at it. It wasn't close. Yeah, um, It's just unfortunate that, and it goes back to your valid point, from a philosophical standpoint, why don't we make the decision if it's close, let's leave the laundry in our pocket. Yeah. Just let it be a free By the way, to feed further, uh, uh, what's the word? We forgot the asterisk. Unless it's on the other team, then go ahead and throw the flag, right? <laughs> well, the, well, the further feed the conspiracy calls, because you pointed this out to me via the headset when it happened, uh, that this was the same officiating crew that threw the flag on Freddie Stevenson against Clemson for the illegal downfield block or whatever it was. So to fuel the conspiracy theorist. But that would be another example, because when we went back and looked at the Freddie Stevenson play, it was a when in doubt. I mean, is it was not a clear cut illegal. You could look at it and interpret it that way. When in doubt, swallow the whistle. I agree. But if you're going to subscribe to that, you have to agree that when it's on the other team that we're on board with, when in doubt, that maybe he pushed off a little too much, but you know what? Let him play. And so you just have to be good with it both ways. What I, I would just say, we, we can do better than what's being done in the ACC right now and, and across college football probably, but we see the ACC more. It can be done better. The, the technology is an issue because you could – there's so many different angles now. The technology is so good. You could review every play for five minutes, and a game would take a week. And also acknowledging that if we, if you and I were, quote-unquote, broadcasting SEC games or big SEC fans as opposed to ACC, we would also say that the SEC officiating is worse than the ACC officiating. I mean, every conference fan will tell you their officiating sucks. Yeah, like they'll tell the, you their offensive line sucks. Yeah, and, yeah. It's just the way and the is. backup quarterback's the favorite exactly. player on the team. Exactly. exactly. Except at Alabama where they're pretty happy with their starter right now. <laughs> We're pretty is happy he with an interception yet? 21 TDs, no interceptions. Wow. I think Charlie in 93 finished either 27-4 and four or 31-4 and four in terms of – TDs ends. 
Wow. So pretty remarkable. This just in. He's pretty good. He is. So is our Seminoles.com insider, Tim. Oh, he's great. Or at least we like to he's great. have him believe that. I'm He'll not going to tell us him next on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Oh, we have some new music, which uh, on the downside means we're coming off a loss on the upside. It's an all-timer. I mean, Keith is playing air keyboard in here as we welcome our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt. Tim joins us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Tim, how are you? I'm doing great, Tom. How are you? Good. So what Keith does not know is that the Twitterverse blew up yesterday with a big debate about <laughs> how Don't Stop Believing came back into the mainstream. Yeah. And in one corner, we had Tim Linnefelt, and in another corner, we had Corey Clark. Never heard of him. So... <laughs> Yeah, I, it's a pretty common name. Before we get Tim's side of the story, Keith, uh, as somebody who was around when it blew up the first time, as a matter of fact, you were in your heyday back then, do you have any recollection of how it blew up the second time? No clue. It's always been blown up in my mind. <laughs> do you have any? <laughs> that's, yeah, we, That's been probably the, uh, the, most, uh, the most common response I've gotten to all this, which is that it, uh, it, it didn't come back because it never really went anywhere. Uh, that's true. That's true. So that said, Tim, uh, lay out the argument here and state the case for. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, I my uh, my recollection is that, and the first time I remember uh, seeing this on kind of prominence was uh, during the uh, Chicago White Sox run to the uh, the 2005 uh, World Series championship. Uh, and Corey's recollection uh, is that it, it blew up when uh, it was used in the the last scene of uh, The Sopranos, the TV show. Um, and so, I, you know, I was never arguing that The, the Sopranos wasn't a big deal. And, you know, and I, I got put into this awkward position where I was, like, you know, like arguing against The Sopranos. I love The Sopranos. It's just by the time that finale had come out, I, you know, at least in my mind, uh, the song had already been pretty well ingrained in pop culture. So that's Tim's story. Yeah. Corey says Sopranos. Tim says White Sox. Keith says... I would say White Sox, under this caveat, The Sopranos, if I recollect, was on HBO. Yeah. It was not But it was a big to deal. everyone. It was a big deal, though. Sopranos was a big deal. The World Series, everyone's exposed to. That would be my argument. This has nothing you to do. Go ahead, Tim. No, no. And then I, and then I said, you know, I, my, uh, the, the cornerstone of my, uh, my foundation is I found a story uh, on ESPN.com about the, uh, the, the resurgence of the song. And the uh, the keyboardist from Journey, uh, who uh, is is billed as a co-writer of the song, uh, is quoted as saying that uh, it was the it was when the White Sox adopted it that, that it really took off. And so I feel like that's a pretty strong uh, point in my favor. You could also argue, as uh, as Mr. Clark did, that that uh, you know maybe uh, you know musicians don't necessarily have the best perspective on that sort of thing. And I and I guess you know I can hear that, but I feel like it's a pretty strong uh, pretty strong case. 
Well, hopefully we hear it for the next six weeks as the intro <laughs> to this segment because that means things are, are going well. We've been talking about it for a long time. Yeah, the big news on the football field this week seems to be that uh, the guy who snaps the football might change this week at Florida State. Is that true? Can you confirm, corroborate? What can you? Uh, I don't. I would be surprised of that. Still, um, we, we've seen a few different uh, different combinations uh, during the open portion of practice. Some that involve. Baby on Johnson playing center and Alec Eberly playing guard, but they they're not permanent, you know. Like like when we saw see it, and then you know they'll switch periods and switch drills, and then it's back to Eberly at center and 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 some more guys you're familiar with. So I think that they are working some things out, seeing some some looks uh, that that you know they just kind of want to get an idea of, of what they might have. But I I don't know. I I maybe I'll change my mind between now and Saturday. But as of now, I'd still be surprised. Uh, if it's not Alec Everly playing center. Tim, the other fodder out there is that uh, James Blackman will start on Saturday ahead of DeAndre Francois. What, what, what say ye on that? I, uh, I, I think you have a better chance of seeing Babyon Johnson start at center than you have of seeing DeAndre Francois not starting at quarterback. Uh, I don't see any reason for it. Uh, he's healthy. He's been practicing. Um, you know, and Willie Taggart, whenever he's asked that question uh, about his quarterbacks, uh, I mean, he, he practically laughs it off. Uh, and, and I, you know, that was the case after the Miami game. Uh, they haven't played since then. I don't. I don't see any reason to think that a change of quarterback is coming. I know. I know the rumors are out there, and and I get it. And look, you know, the the backup quarterback is always the most popular guy uh, in every fan base. But I, I just don't see it for this week. I, there are rumors that started as wishes from people that want the change. I think so. That now that, that might be a fair assessment. Um, and I'm not suggesting I'm one of them. I'm just saying that's where that comes from. What What can we expect in terms of changes or? Uh, things that have been cleaned up in light of uh, the bye week and a few extra practices where you didn't have to pay attention to Wake Forest? Well, that's a good question, uh, and, and I don't really know the answer. Uh, because just the, the bye week kind of got so screwy with the hurricane. You know, they had the two practices, uh, the second of which, um, you know, not to say that it wasn't productive, but it was sort of done uh, with the backdrop of the hurricane coming, then everybody scattered for a while. Um, and then came back and, and reconvened uh, Saturday for a practice that was really supposed to be held on uh, on Wednesday. Now, they got all their scheduled practices in, so it's not like they're missing out on, on what they had planned on. Uh, but it's just weird. You know, it's different. It's unusual. Um, a lot of uncertainty, obviously, some guys that have been impacted and that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, from what I've been able to gather, um, especially on offense, uh, you know, they, they really want to keep pushing the tempo. They, I think they feel like when they were successful against Miami, um, and really have been successful this season. It's come as a result of, of being fast, of getting to the line of scrimmage quickly, snapping the ball. I mean, all the things, you know, that's not new. It's not new revelations. We know Florida State wants to go fast, but over the first half of the season, uh, you know, they really weren't able to do that consistently just because I don't think they, they knew the, the system as well. They weren't comfortable enough in it. And so, you know, you saw all those the, the pre-snap penalties and missed assignments and, and all that kind of stuff. It just sort of came as a result of that inexperience. I think you you've seen in the last couple of weeks, the last couple of games, signs of progress in that regard. Uh, and I think that the, the bye week, um, you know, I think that you're just kind of trying to keep hammer that home is that if, if for this offense to work the way it's supposed to, uh, you got to run tempo. Now that it's passed, Tim, what, what, what's the observation, reflection, reason for Florida State being so inept offensively in the second half against Miami as compo- contrasted with the relative success they had in the first half? Well, that's a good question too. I, you know, I mean, I think the big thing was just kind of the turnovers uh, more more than anything else, and then also, you know, Miami dialing up the pressure and and, and kind of getting home a little bit. I think you know I thought the offensive line played reasonably well, especially in the first half. But 
you know, you're, you're not going to hold those guys back uh, forever, or at least, uh, you know, it's, it's a big ask to do so. And uh, when those blitzes and pressures start getting home and then they result in turnovers uh, or, or near turnovers, um, you know, you got problems. So, um, you know, I'm really more interested to see, you know, was the Miami game in that second half, you know, was that, how indicative was that? Uh, was that a result of Miami playing really good defense or, or Florida State you know, struggling on offense? And, and I kind of think this Saturday will be a pretty good way to, to tell that because uh, Wake Forest, uh, well, they're, they're pretty good offensively, but uh, on defense they've, uh, they've struggled an awful lot uh, over the last few weeks. Side note, Keith, and I don't have the number in front of me, but our good friend David Hale from ESPN.com had a stat up last week. Starting with 2010, Miami's record before the FSU game and after the FSU game, and it it was roughly 90-plus percent before the game and 60% winning percentage after, regardless of it. Something like that. Did you see that stat, Tim? Yeah, yeah. Well, and, the, and then they immediately laid an egg at Virginia. <laughs> well, as I say, usually that, you know, it was always a result of they play hard against FSU and lose. This time they win, and they uh, they still uh, have their seat kind of wrecked afterward. That's a weird uh, weird dynamic. Yeah, that's uh, – all right. One uh, of the Florida State fans aren't going to be uh, feeling too bad about it, I'm sure. The most consistent part of this program this fall has been that your performance, your performance has not wavered week to week, and and this is almost an all timer. I'm just a little foreshadowing as we we take you back two weeks now to rapid fire, and we grade Tim. Will Miami have a reunion of one of its national championship teams on the field before the game on Saturday? <laughs> no. Will there be a hundred yard rusher for FSU? No. Turnovers by FSU, and I'm setting the over-under at two and a half. Uh, under. Turnovers forced by FSU, same over-under, two and a half. Under. Will Ibis be wearing a turnover chain? Yes. Will he at some point do something to a backpack? Yes. I was an usher at Pro Player Stadium my senior year of high school, and I made minimum wage. Was the minimum wage over or under $4 at that point? Ooh, under? This is a true-false. The longest punt return recorded by Keith Jones in his playing career came against Miami. I say true. Was it over or under 10 yards? Over. Unfortunately, this happens. Yes, no question. Will Miami fans shake the Florida State team buses on the way in or out of the stadium? Uh, no, they won't. Big bucks, no whammies. Number of Florida State players, this is a repeat question from prior weeks, who will take a snap at quarterback? One. Tim, we, we almost had the perfect season rolling there. I know, I know. I, was just I knew it was coming, too. And that really wasn't the spirit of the question. I, I feel like I should uh, should assert, but, but no, I, you were... Uh, Once again, you go up to the counter in Vegas and tell them that wasn't the intent or the spirit of the wager that you made and see what they say back to you, buddy. <laughs> You're right. Blackman only took one snap, but uh, otherwise we would have just had to retire this whole shtick because you would have been perfect on it. No, I know. That's true. So, so in a way, we're fortunate. To be fair, I don't really know if Ibis had a turnover chain or if he did anything with a backpack. He so, had a backpack. Oh, he did? Oh, yes. Okay. So then we, we need to just give that correctly then, and I don't know if he was wearing a turnover chain or not. But nice job, Tim. Let's Thank you. Here now is the story of Keith's longest career. Oh, by the way, before Keith's story. I made like three seventy six an hour, and it wasn't Pro Player Stadium. It was Joe Robbie Stadium. The year was 1987. So just Google whatever minimum wage was that year. Go ahead, Keith. Um, we, we I think, kicked a field goal or something and kicked off. And I was still on the uh, kickoff team, L2. 
So I had force. Well, Billy Capice pooched the kick. This was before you could do the fair catch at all on kickoffs. They had a big tight end. You know, they've had a hundred of them down there. He catches the ball. I light him up. I knock myself out. Now, I'm still walking around. You knock yourself out on your feet. On the feet. I go in. We win three defensive plays. We hold them. I go back. I catch a punt. I return it for 12 yards. I go off the field. goes in the halftime. I wake up in the middle of the third quarter with Randy Orvitz still in the locker room. And I went, where am I? What's going on? He had the smelling sauce and all that. I have no rec- I still have no recollection of those three defensive plays or that 12-yard punt return. Only, only way I know I did it is I saw the film on Sunday. So I was concussed. The Cliff's notes there is the longest punt return in KJ's career. He has no recollection of because he was concussed, Tim. So there you go. Well, uh, that's fair, I guess. That's a good story, though. I mean, different era, to be fair, to everybody involved. We're and talking I'm about not, 1980, right? Uh, 1978. 1978, okay. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm not casting dispersions on anything. That's just the way it was. It does explain a lot, though, in terms of what happens on this show on a weekly basis. I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. Now. What, squirrel? All right, Tim, you ready? Here we go. I'm this ready. week's Let's rapid fire. I'm going to ask this question until it happens. Will there be a 100-yard rusher for FSU this week? No. Number of positions that Alec Eberly will play on Saturday over under one and a half? Under. Number of players offensively for Florida State who will throw a pass, and I'm going to set that at one and a half over under. Under. Number of forward passes FSU will attempt on Saturday, and I'm going to set it at 30 and a half over under. That's a good number. Over. Number of illegal forward passes FSU will attempt on Saturday, and I'm going to set that at a half. Under. Will Willie Taggart bring a red flag with him to throw just in case he needs it, even though that's not the way the college game works, yes or no? (laughs) Maybe he will. I hope so. Number of assistants that Wake Forest will fire in the wake of the game, and I'll set that at a half over under. Under. Will Florida State go over or under 35 and a half points over will florida state win yes all right there you go we're done tim thank you as always sir you got it fellas see you jimmy he's a good sport for taking that thought i set him up well how many forward passes will they throw how many illegal forward passes will they throw you were very fair what i should have asked is how many forward passes that are deemed illegal by acc officials will they throw (laughs) we'll continue we'll talk basketball when we roll on on front row knolls Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Welcome back. Front Row Knowles, Tom Block, Keith Jones. We will return to the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency ensuring your future together. Believe it or not, Keith, and you know this it's because you're involved. It's time. Three weeks from yesterday is when the basketball season opens. Election day, and FSU takes on Florida in game number one, and we're pleased to bring to the program one of the stars of this seminal basketball team. Trent Forrest joins us. Trent, how are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. I'm doing pretty good. How about y'all? We're doing well. Does it feel like it's just three weeks away? I mean, is that have you been waiting forever? Do you feel like you still got a lot to work out before that opener? Oh. Um, 
It actually came sooner than we thought. I mean, the season is here now, the getting the shoes laced up. So, I mean, it's, it feels pretty close, and we're ready. We're ready to get rolling. Before we talk basketball, I want to do this, and I'll let KJ weigh in since he's uh, part of the basketball broadcast as well. Uh, you are from Chipley. We all know what happened here in the Panhandle in the in the last week with Hurricane Michael. Uh, how did your family fare? And, and just give us a, an update on that situation. Obviously, Chipley, for those who don't know, and I think most listening to this show do, is a little bit west of Panama City here in the Panhandle area. Yes, sir. Um, well, they, they did pretty good through the storm. I mean, they didn't have no, like, crazy damage didn't lose no houses or anything but i mean they fared pretty well they seen during the storm they seen a couple houses get ripped up but other than that they just had a couple trees down so most of my family is fine um my mom my brother my aunts they're all doing good so i mean it's a blessing honestly all things considered, Very it much. certainly is. Uh, and every one of us that made out okay, which Keith and I both did, uh, can say that same thing because there's a lot of p- people between here and Chipley that did not fare so well, and we need to, to continue to, to think about them and assist them. All right. Yes, uh, sir, definitely. Uh, exactly. Uh, okay, on the court, Trent, um, what did the Elite Eight performance do from a morale, psyche, confidence standpoint, both for you and the team, uh, on the one hand, you're that close to the Final Four, but on the other hand, you're in the national conversation based on what you guys did last year. So how does that change things as you enter this new campaign? Um, I think it opened our eyes, really, because at the beginning of last season, we were we were kind of still trying to figure out who we were, our identity. And just as the season went on, we just kept playing, kept getting better. And we finally realized once we got to that elite eight point, we were like, like we're really this good. And then... We just use that as motivation coming into this season, and we expect nothing less, nothing less than making it to the Final Four, like you said. So it's just been a lot of eye-opening. It was an eye-opening experience, and now we're just using that as motivation for this year. And I want to speak to that, Trent. Uh, in that, there's there's two ways you can look at this. You can say, well, you know, we got we got within one game of 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 the Final Four. We're pretty good. We, we should be recognized. Or you can say, yes, look, sir. look, we fell short. That's not good enough. We still want to get there, and you can let that be a driving motivation. Definitely, definitely. I mean, it's like you said; it's just the way you look at it. Of course, we're we're happy of it, but we can't we can't rest on last year. We have to go and get more, like you said. We know that we can do more, and know that there is more to this team that we can accomplish. Let me ask you a question. Uh, and this will be a broad-based question, but you know because you go through off-season and you're in preseason drills now. Uh, last year, I think everybody externally was caught off guard by the trans, uh, the transformation, really, in, in terms of how good he was on the court that Cabin Gailey made uh, from one year yes, to the sir. next. So who is it, you know, I don't know that it's reasonable to expect that he can grow that much again from one year to the next, so I'm not asking specifically about him, but but who is it right now that you look around? And another example would be Kofor shooting from the outside. We were, A lot of us were caught off guard that he was going to be that proficient in that arena last year. Uh, so who is it right now as you're going through preseason that people are going to think, wow, I didn't realize that he could do this or this guy's really going to help us, that sort of thing? Um, I think it could be a couple of guys, honestly. I think Raekwon Gray could be a guy because he's so versatile and he's able to handle the ball. He's able to guard multiple positions. He can shoot. He can really do everything, honestly. So I feel like he could be a guy like that. Um, MJ Walker, he's he's took a big step this year, too, just understanding the offense, things like that. Uh, 
Fee as well. Fee has gotten a lot better since last year and just being able to expand his game and getting better. So I feel like we have a couple guys that honestly could all kind of fit that mold. Trent, this time last year, you tell me if I'm wrong, but I think your mindset was I'm I'm kind of a co-starter and, and I got some help there and I'm going to play some, but I'm I'm not the main guy. This year, yes, this time, you're the main guy. You're the guy that's going to run this offense. How has that changed your approach from last year to this year? Um, not much, really. I, I mean, we have kind of the same group of guys, so it's not, it's not that hard. And I mean, I have a good relationship with all the guys. We all have respect for each other. So I feel like it's really just the same thing. You just, you just have to go out every day and try to lead them the best way you can. So I feel like it, it really didn't change much. But it just comes with, you know, being a year older, being a junior, being one of the upperclassmen. Now you just you just have to do a little more. We're talking with Trent Forrest, who's going to be the starting point guard for Florida State this year. The season opens against Florida on November 6th. Uh, NCAA tournament last year averaged 10 points, five boards, five assists, two and a half steals. I mean, it was quite a run. I'm sure that one area... Uh, I'm making an assumption here, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I feel like the one area of your game you'd like to round out is being more consistent with the outside shot. Uh, if that's not fair, jump in. But how much time have you devoted to to, to becoming more proficient there? Uh, definitely just on point. The whole summer, just me and the different coaches, we would get in the gym every day and just put up as many shots as we could. I mean, that's really all it was, just helping building my confidence. So, like you said, that was the that's honestly the last part of my game that I just need to round out, and I feel like after that the sky is really the limit. But this summer, that's all it was. The coaches, the uh, my teammates, they all encouraged me to shoot. They helped me with it, helped me with my confidence. So I feel like this year should be should be pretty good. By my count, we spent seventeen days out of town in March of last year. And by the way, I'm willing to do that again. I'm very willing to do that again. <laughs> Let's make it like 25. Just go ahead and add another week. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But what what but what needs to be reinforced is over the last 2 years at home in the Tucker Center, you guys are like 31 and 2. I mean, mm-hmm. you you defend the home court. How much do y'all talk about that? How much do y'all talk about that? We talk about it a lot. Actually, we we take playing here and we take it to heart a lot. I mean, playing in front of you guys is is something that we love to do, and we feel like if we can perform at a high level, I mean, that's what it's all about. Especially protecting your home court and protecting the game that we all play and that y'all come to watch. So we we talk about it a lot. We want to keep that record going and start a new streak this year. Actually, to make it longer than the one it has been the past two years. So. We talk about it a lot. All right, let's have some fun now, Trent. Uh, I was in school back when one of your family members, Amp Lee, was playing here. And then, <laughs> and then Phil Kofer arrived two years later. So, I mean, <laughs> what, what, what do you, what, first of all, what nickname do you have for Phil? I mean, is he grandpa? Is he old man? I mean, this is his sixth year, so I know you guys got to call him something. Um, we really, I mean, we joke around, but I wouldn't say he really has a name. Phil, Phil is a pretty funny guy so he he's easy going about it but he's kind of like he's the old guy but at the same time he keeps everybody so laughing all the time that you really can't even tell he's really that been here that long so it, it's kind of a good medium between being old and just having that sense of uh, humor that he has that makes it 
makes it interesting every day. Is he the the comedian on the team, or who is the uh, the class clown? I would definitely I would put Phil up there. Phil, uh, Phil and MJ, they, those two guys are pretty funny. So I would put them two as the class clowns on the team. All right. Well, who's who's the singer, or who thinks he's the singer on the team? Uh, uh, singers. Let's see. Chris, he sings a little bit sometimes. <laughs> um, well, I'm, I'm told I'm, I'm sometimes sorry. you break out in a song every now and then. Uh, maybe a little bit here and there, but that's, that's about all. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm just checking. I'm just checking. All right. Yes. <laughs> Who, who's the best dressed? Best dressed? Uh, probably Phil. Phil or... Yeah, definitely probably Phil, uh, MJ, Harris, probably one of those three guys. All right, now fess up. Who does the best Coach Ham impersonation? Oh, man. I, I would say all of us, because all of us have something different that we all impersonate a Coach Ham. So it, it's hilarious, especially before we have, like, films and things like that. We all kind of just have, like, a comedy show sometimes. And it's, it's funny to see how all of us can mimic him. <laughs> all right let, let's go back to amp real quick does does he dust off the the vhs tapes to show you how good he was back in the day um i ha- i haven't seen that i've seen some highlights on youtube sometimes and he really won't talk about it to me but like my dad and some of my cousins they always tell me how good he was and i, I always watched the michigan game when he when he had the touchdown then even going back to his high school days, he had a half court shot to win a game for, for Chipley against Mariana. So I've always watched that, but it's, I'm sure it's some definitely some good film out there, though. Well, the Michigan game's a good. That's start a pretty point. good that, one. That one was legit. Yeah. There's, <laughs> there's still a defender looking for some equipment based on one of the cuts he made. Yeah. The there's right. laundry on the field. <laughs> hey, Trent, I'll, we'll, we'll get out of here with this question. What is the number one thing that that this FSU basketball team uh, needs to take care of? Needs to focus on as you you know the most important thing to the ultimate success of the team this year in your mind. I probably would say just being consistent, consistent throughout the whole year, not not having ups and downs, and even when we do, just through those times, just be consistent every day. Get the work in, get the um, main notes. To- well, I think we just lost him on the way out. You still there, Trent? Yes, sir. Hello. Okay. Hello. Yeah, we lost you momentarily. Sorry. Continue. Okay. Sorry. But, yeah, just being consistent every day, coming in, getting the work done, knowing the scout reports we have for each game. So even if we do slip up a little bit in the game, we're able to pick ourselves up and get through it. So I feel like if we can do that, we'll be able to go far again this season. Well, we're looking forward to it. It's it's going to be fun. It's been fun to watch your career so far. There's obviously a lot more left to it. Best of luck to you and, and the Seminoles this year. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Trent. All right, and, and best yes, of luck sir. to everybody over in Chipley in between here and there that, that, that's been affected as well. Trent Forrest from the Florida State basketball team. Keith, I can't believe we're less than three weeks away from hoops. I, I don't know how it happens every fall, but here we are. Well, and not only that, the anticipation because of the success of last year uh, and and maybe if you could be fair, a little bit of disappointment in the football schedule, people are now gravitating to basketball because it's now something to rally around. They've had some tremendous success and are looking for continued success as they enter the uh, 18-19 season. 
going to tip our cap to uh, Ron and his fine folks at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Uh, in all seriousness, in light of uh, everything that's going on right now, I'm sure that they are as busy as ever. And uh, whether it's individually or whether uh, it's contractors stopping by to replenish, uh, the the folks at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener can can take care of of whatever it is that uh, that you need to get done in terms of your do it yourself projects. You can call them at five eight zero twelve hundred. Visit them online at ctf.nu. They've been serving the Big Ben since '95, and uh, in especially in the wake of Hurricane Michael, I, I talked. They're, they're a valuable resource. I right talked now. to Ron last night for a couple of minutes, uh, and uh, you know he talked about how busy they were, but that uh, his crew was there to help. And if you need some uh, assistance and just don't know where to go, what to do, drop by their 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 advice is as good as their product. Which uh, you probably can't say on either count for us, but we'll do another segment after this on Front Row Knowles. <laughs> Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Last segment here on Front Row Knowles. As good a time as any to remind you that uh, Taco Thursday is tomorrow at Township. $2 tacos, chicken or beef, $2 off the taco of the month, which I'm not sure what that is, but I guarantee it'll be good. Uh, so go visit uh, Township Madison Social. Uh, they got well, as soon as they got the power back up last week, they were up and running, and it'll be a big week down there. The Friday the block party is back. Friday night block party. It's homecoming at FSU. You have a party named after you? I do, I do. I've I've used this lame joke before, Keith. But the only time that the name well, one of the only times the name is really not beneficial is when you go into a restaurant and you're by yourself and you say block party of one. I mean, it's pretty sad and lonely if you're having a block party of one, right? That's all I got. That's not any worse than the jokes you took. Go ahead and pull out your favorite joke. Whatever it is, I guarantee it's bad. Just share it right uh, now. Uh, um, uh, I, lo- I love the um, um, uh, Foxworthy stuff. You might be a redneck if. Uh, my favorite one of those is if you look forward to family reunions as an opportunity to pick up women. There you go. Boom, boom. I'm pretty sure you are his target audience, by the way. Oh, I'm a, I'm, I mean, I'm a member of the fan club. You might be on the program <laughs> as the caricature of the Jeff Foxworthy uh, uh, typical fan. All right, so basketball. That was a good conversation with Trent, by the way. And Trent, Trent knows it. He talked about working on the outside shot. And I do think it's a confidence thing for him. But if you add an outside shot to what his game is, man, that takes him to the next level. There's no question because that outside shot probably frees up three or six points a game. So you go back and look at what he did through the conf- or through the tournament that you talked about. Now he's at 16 points a game, five and a half rebounds, four and a half assists or whatever it was. I mean, that's a stat line that any coach, ACC or otherwise, would, would prefer to have and love to have out of their point guard. Here's something, and you know you don't get this opportunity in football, but this goes to how good FSU's been the last two year two years in basketball, which coincide with Trent Forrest's career. Not that it's all on his shoulders, but 13 wins over nationally ranked teams the last two years for FSU. I mean, that's that's not insignificant, well, and, and it's a twofold thing. Number one, you're going to play some good teams in the ACC, right? You get more at bats, but FSU has also scheduled some non conference games. You and I will be down in Orlando. They got a chance to play Nova, chance to play Villanova. I mean, they, you know, that's like playing Alabama to open the season in football. You know that that's how big that can be in the way they've put this schedule together. You know what I'm bitter about, though. You're bitter, hey, not bitter. Why be bitter? Be better, right? But 
I do want to talk to Stan. I mean, we've got this game at Tulane in New Orleans. I happen to spend time there because my wife's from there. Would have been a nice little weekend away. Happens to fall right after football game in South Bend the night before. So you and I bowed out and Lulu's going to carry the torch for us. I'm sure that Lulu will stay confined to his hotel room all weekend and and uh, be not, focused on the basketball. Not. Football 3.30 on Saturday. Wake Forest, we haven't talked a lick about this. Wake Forest has been dreadful defensively to the point that they pulled an SEC move and that they fired their defensive coordinator three games into the season. When does an ACC football team fire an assistant coach three or four games in? Wake for- And when does Wake Forest do it? That happened this year. Exactly. Florida State a 10, 10.5 point favorite. This is a game that Florida – this is a must win. This is a must win. If you look at the remaining schedule and if you do the what-ifs relative to bowl eligibility and continuing the winning streak, uh, consecutive years of winning streak, et cetera, et cetera, th- this is a must win. You cannot lose this game, and Florida State shouldn't. Now, this is a game Florida State should should cover the spread. This is a game that Florida State should find a running game. The bigger – not the bigger question, but the question I have because of where I come from is will Florida State's defense – which did give up 28 points to Miami, a, a, an offense that struggled and was having quarterback issues, and we saw that in the Virginia game. Will FSU's defense perform well enough for 60 minutes to keep that Wake Forest offense from scoring more than Florida State scores? Only two minutes to go here, Keith, so bad time to get in. can't get into a long conversation. But looking back at the Miami game, Marvin Wilson served notice that he's going to be the next of Odell's great tackles. Oh, all those tackles did him. I mean, yeah. Corey Durden, Christmas, uh, Fred Freddie, Jones. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, they played an outstanding ball game. I mean, they what they did is they exposed Miami's offensive line. So now we know Miami's offensive line has issues, and they have quarterback issues. So that may result in a couple more L's for them. The other thing, though, real quick, DJ Matthews might have served notice that he's going to have a chance to to be on the pretty short list of top punt returners all time at Florida State. Now I know short body work, but there's a pretty strong field, and and DJ, you know, he's going to get a seat at the table when his career is done based on that one game display. Well, really based on what we've seen this year. If he continues to use good judgment as he has, he he just has that it thing. We talk about that it thing. Sure, he's fast and sure he's quick, but he's got great vision. He works well in space. Uh, he, he knows how to contort and move. Uh, he's much like Pete Warwick in that you know he's full speed in the second step. Doesn't take him long to get going. Uh, and I, I think the upside is very big. It doesn't seem like that false fair catch move should work. If you think because he hesitates each time he gets it, he hesitates a split second. But see, I don't think that's a false fair catch. I think that's his way of getting the ball, getting centered, and and almost taking a quick snapshot that says, I'm going left, right, or up the middle. And it may be, but it functions. It, to me, it creates just enough doubt in the coverage team's mind because they don't see him moving. They think, oh, he must have called a fair catch. So if you, if you ease off the gas just a little bit, that's when he then accelerates and he creates that. Yeah. That it gets of course, supposed coaches will coach against that. They'll tell their kids, this is what a DJ does, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it is a, a, a unique gift that he has and the well, way that he does it. That's when you call for a fair catch very early and you just wear one and you take the penalty one time. Because if the coaches are going to coach that, easy for me to say. Anything else we've not talked about? No. Do you remember that great punt return you had, 78, against Miami? I do not. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> for the record. We'll be back next week on Front Row Knowles. Talk to you then.